If you've been with us, uh, you know that we've been in a series entitled The Fugitive, looking at the story of a runaway prophet named Jonah. Of course, we know that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah in chapter 1 of this great story. He runs away uh, from the call by not going to Nineveh, where God had called him to go to. He finds himself running to Joppa, away from the presence of the Lord, to get on a ship to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. And through a course of events, Jonah finds himself being thrown overboard on the ship that he was on, heading to Tarshish, and uh, then he is swallowed up by a great fish or a whale. And uh, we find ourselves now after the three days and three nights in the whale. If you were following the uh, commentary that was written or put together by the Veggie Tail people, uh, young people, you would know that this is the time where the choir uh, comes uh, to Jonah in the time when he's in the great whale. And uh, they start singing the song that God is a God of second chances. And uh, we need to recognize that in the text, there is no place where a choir comes and sings, but it gives us an idea of that the Lord is giving Jonah another opportunity. So let's look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let us stand for the reading of these short verses, and then we will get into our text this morning. This is what the word of the Lord says to us, as it did to Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we look at a text that from the surface, it seems to be just a repeat of a couple chapters ago. But Lord, as we look through this great story, this wonderful narrative, we see your grace. And Lord, I know that we've spent a lot of time looking at uh, man's rebellion and disobedience. But oh, it is so good to come and see your grace. Lord, there are those out here today uh, that need a second chance that have, just like Jonah, found themselves running away from God, pursuing our own things, and now finding ourselves in some real trouble and calamity in life. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of us the need that we have for your grace to be abundant. Lord, speak to us through the examples that we'll see through Scripture. Speak to us as we learn how to prepare ourselves for that grace that you will bring to us and show us then what our mission is in this world is all about when you come to us a second time. So Lord, go before us. Let the meditations of my uh, heart and uh, the words that I say, Lord, be pleasing to you. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We've spent the last four weeks looking at the judgment of God, man's disobedience and God's judgment. And I know there may be some out there who are saying, okay, enough with the, with the bad news. Enough with all the, uh, the you know, tough words of God's judgment. But if we don't hear those words of God's judgment, we would never appreciate what Jonah chapter 3 articulates to us today. There is no good news without bad news. It would just be news. But if we find ourselves in a situation where we're living in a time of bad situations in our life, when something good comes along, it is separated by such a great chasm because it is so good and so wonderful in comparison to where we find ourselves in our calamity and troubles today. That's what Jonah 3 should do for us. If you underline or uh, circle in your Bibles, the phrase that I want you to circle is, is the word or the phrase a second time. 
a second time. Now, as I look at what people have done in, in preaching this series, very few preachers took the time, which I believe is a, it's, it's a tragedy, not to look at that phrase a second time. Because if we miss that, then we miss the grace that God extended to his prophet Jonah. He comes a second time. Now, there's no question that during the time in the whale that Jonah found himself reliving over and over again the events of Jonah 1. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that human nature? We make a mistake that carries consequences with it. And when we have moved a little bit past it, we find ourselves reliving it over and over and over again. There are times in my short 33 years on this earth that I can look back and not with great affection, but with great sadness in my heart, saying, I wish I could go back and fix that. I wish I could go back five minutes before then and change my answer, change my response, say no to that sin, find myself not in that situation. You know, it seems that when we make mistakes like that, as we see in Jonah's life, we want to go back to being a kid. You see, when we were a kid, when we were kids, most of us had a, um, a toy that we would play with that was, was red. It was a red square and it had two little white knobs on it. You remember what I'm talking about? What do we call that? Etch-a-sketch. And what we would do is we would start playing with the Etch-a-sketch and we would start building uh, or, or drawing these pictures and all these different diagrams and things using the knobs. But at some point we'd become unhappy with where what, what we've written or what we've put together isn't what we wanted. And so all we had to do was just shake that thing. Remember, you would shake it and what would happen? It would disappear. There are some of us who would like to just take the things that we've done in our lives and just have them and say, well, I don't like where that went. That wasn't how it was supposed to play out. And we would just like to take the bad decisions and the sins in our life and just shake them as if they've never been there. Now, there's another thing that we could do. Uh, you know, you say, well, that's kid games. Well, I remember watching a show when I was a, a young boy, and the show was called Quantum Leap. You remember the, mo- the show Quantum Leap on TV? It was a story about a scientist who wanted to do time travel, but in the process of learning how to do time travel, something goes wrong, as if every TV show, something has to go wrong. It goes wrong, and what he finds now is that he's not doing time travel on his own, but he's forced into this quantum leap where he is put into, superimposed into to the lives of human beings from the past. And so he goes back to situations or issues of struggle in someone's life, and his job is to redo the things that had gone wrong. So he would find himself in a situation where if nothing is done, then it will bring forth havoc in the life of the person in the future. And so he goes back into their life and changes some of the decisions and some of the circumstances so that the things in the future will be changed for the better. Well, I've got a word for everyone today. Number one, we need to understand when we fail, we can't go back. We can't take the etch-a-sketch of life and shake it and think that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. Nor do we have time travel. Even though Michael J. Fox was able to perfect that some years ago, it's not something that we can do. We can't go back. And so what are we to do with our failures? A British poet named Alexander Pope once said, to err is human. 
to err is human. We need to understand that we, because of our humanity, are going to err. We are going to fail. And we need to understand how to live in light of that. Now, there are a couple things that we find ourselves falling prey to. We can get a concept of God that says, when I fail, then God is done with me. And what we do is we look at Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we say, if, if I mess up, then God can't use me. If I, uh, you know, sin, then I disqualify myself from being used by God in any capacity. And I would say, well, you got the first side of the coin. You got the first part of the story. There's another group that will say, I believe in a God of love and a God of forgiveness. Praise God, that's good. But what that has created is, I can live however I want and God will forgive me every time. And that what he'll do is he'll just like a lenient father say, don't worry about it. Boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Of course, you're going to do those things. Hey, don't worry about it. Move on. And instead of seeking repentance and doing the things that we need to, we have this idea that we prayed this prayer and and we've gotten into this religion thing and that God's just going to stand idly by and watch us sin. Both of those extremes are flawed because there's a balance God does deal harshly, severely at times when we sin. But we also see in Scripture that God is a God of second chances. And so I want to see both sides of that very quickly from Scripture. I want to give you two examples on the one side and then uh, look at some examples on the other side. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Leviticus uh, chapter... Let me find out where I was supposed to be. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. If you're in the book of Jonah... Go back to the beginning of the Bible, to the third book of Leviticus, chapter 10. See, we get this idea, we hear that God is a God of second chances, and he is. But it doesn't mean that he always is. It doesn't mean that every time we sin, we are going to have the opportunity to make right, to fix it, to repent of it. That things may come, circumstances may be brought up, that God makes a sovereign decision to say, no, this, it's it, it's done, it's over. Let's notice what happens here. This is the story of Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his two sons. Now, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they were priests, and they were taking their censers, they were putting fire into them, and they added incense. They're doing the worship um, order of service that they were a part of. And they offered an authorized fire before the Lord. Now, notice what it says. It was contrary to God's command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And it says in verse 3, Aaron remained silent. His two kids died, and he remained silent. Why? Because God doesn't play games. There are times... When God says enough is enough and his discipline comes and it's severe. And this is seen in that story of Leviticus 10. Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament for a moment. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Tim. Let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. Acts chapter 5. You get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then, of course, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, it says... 
Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. To understand what he's talking about there, Luke has already told us in Luke 4.32-37 through 37, that the people of God were selling property and their possessions so that they may be able to be charitable to other people who were in need. And so people are selling their properties and their possessions so that others may have the needs met in their lives. Ananias and Sapphira say, hey, let's get in on this thing. Let's sell that piece of property that we have and let's give it to the apostles. Now notice what it says. With his wife's full knowledge... Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is that that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this... Did he get a chance? Was there an opportunity to repent? No. It says he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. Now three hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes. Here she goes. She goes with the story that her husband had. She lies. She says, yes, that is the price. Peter said, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, is there a chance for her to repent, an opportunity for? No, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We need to be fearful that our sin can cause us great turmoil. You see, the thing we need to understand is we can't play games with God. This happens in the day of grace that we live in today, and God is serious about us obeying his commands. But if we saw in time and time again through Scripture that if we disobey, we die, then we forget the grace of Almighty God. The very sense and, and, and place that you find yourself today living and breathing and having the opportunity to do life is a testimony that you are found to have a second chance. Why? Because the Bible says, Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death. How many here are sinners? Let's see a show of hands. Okay? Well, you all should be dead with me as well. But... God is a God of grace. And that's what we see in our message this morning, in our passage this morning, is that Jonah, even though he disobeys, even though he comes to Jonah and articulates, this is what I want you to do, Jonah, if you will, looks at God and says, no way, I'm not going to do that. And he goes the opposite direction. Now, if you or I were God, We would be one of two kinds of people. Number one, we would be uh, very authoritative and and, and probably kill Jonah for his disobedience or, or stop him even before he gets to Joppa. Or we might be lenient and say, well, we would do all that God did. But at the end of the day, we would just kind of leave him and just let him be for the rest of his life. 
that he missed an opportunity and that would be it. But that's not what God does. So let's look at some of what we need to see about this second chance because Jonah is given a second chance and he's going to see how important it is to say yes this time. It's important for us to recognize it. So we need to look at some second chances in the scripture. The first thing I want us to do is examine the lives of people in scripture who are given a second chance. Once we recognize the grace of the second chance, we need to look at people that experienced it. And I want to take their lives quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but quickly look through some examples and see how God brought about a second chance. The first one is Moses. We know the story of Moses. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Moses is living for the first 40 years in Pharaoh's home. He is eating and drinking and enjoying every pleasure of Pharaoh's household. And at 40 years of age, the book of Hebrews tells us that he begins to know and understand that there is a calling on his life, that he is an Israelite even though he lives in Pharaoh's home. And yet there's a time that seems to be coming at around 40 years of age that he's learning that his calling is to liberate the children of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptian people. And so one day he's walking as the Hebrew people are building bricks and and building for the Egyptians and he sees an Egyptian soldier beating a Hebrew slave. And saying, you know what? There's this calling on my life. I've got this sense that God wants me to do something with my people. He takes things into his own hands out of a fit of anger at 40 years of age. He goes and he gets into a fight with the Egyptian and he kills them. And from that point on, he runs in fear because the Bible tells us that Pharaoh now wants to pursue him and hurt him, kill him, or at least put him into jail. And so he runs away. He heads out to the desert of Midian where he finds a wife, Zipporah. He has a father-in-law named Jethro. And for 40 years, he lives in light of his failure. From From the heights that he had fallen, living with the thought of being a murderer, missing out on the calling of God. And so what does God do? God creates an opportunity for Moses of separation. God uses the desert situation in Moses' life. Forty years he would be separated from his failure. And I'm sorry, and God would leave Moses there for a reason. Because at 80 years of age, while shepherding his father-in-law's flocks, he would come to a place where there would be a burning bush. And the burning bush is, okay, Moses, your second chance is here. I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Some of you today are living in light of a situation years ago where your anger or your passion about pursuing something sooner than what God had for you has put you in a time and in a season that you have been separated from the things of your life. And as a result of that, you say, I've got nothing left. If you look at Moses' story, you who have fallen because of anger or uh, unbridled passion can look at Moses and say, God is a God of second chances. How about David? David, we look at David's life, and if you were to do a highlight reel of the early years of David, you would see that David was God's man, a man after God's own heart. Victory after victory after victory, David had with his people. 
He would take care of animals, uh, his father's animals, and, and protect them from bears and lions. He would then go to feed his brothers and find himself hearing the voice of Goliath calling out curses upon God and his people, and he would defeat Goliath. He would be uh, given parades where people would say that the king kills thousands, but David kills ten thousands. This guy had the Midas touch. This guy had everything going for him. And you could have written that he was a Hall of Fame Christian. People from far and wide wanted to be like David. But David would mess all that up because of one stroll on the roof of his palace. Instead of being at war like he was supposed to be with his army, he finds himself bored in the middle of the night and he goes and walks around his palace and he sees a woman bathing and he begins to yearn for her. And instead of bridling his passions and going to one of his wives in the palace, he says, I must have her. And because of that, it creates a domino effect that destroys everything that he had created or had been had done up to that point. It had nullified it. Why? Because what happens is, is he, he uh, involves himself with her. Out of that, a pregnancy takes place to, to subdue the questions and the thoughts that would come. He, dece- he is a deceiver. He brings, her husband's, uh, he brings her husband back from war and tries to deceive him into going to her home and uh, sleeping with his wife, and that doesn't happen. And so he sends the man off back to war with a death sentence that says, put him on the front line so he will die. So here's David. Because of one failure, he loses all the things that he had done before, and as a result of that, he finds himself compounding that sin with more sins. But here's the thing. What does God do to bring about change in his life? That second chance, he brings confrontation. Nathan, a year later, the prophet Nathan would come to David. And though David could not come to himself to be able to articulate that he was sorrowful for his sin, David lives with it for a year and the prophet Nathan comes in and he tells him, you're the man. You have sinned against God and you need to get right. And from that point on, David gets right with God. And the majority of the Psalms of David that we sing about, that we preach about, that we go to in our time of need are the Psalms that he wrote after his fall. God gave him a second chance. So maybe you find yourself today because of one act of passion, because of a desire or a pursuit, or to try to cover up your sin, you find yourself at a place that you have sinned greatly against God, and you say, God, you can't do anything with me. There's nothing that I'm able to do. I'm unfit for ministry. You can look at David's life and say, yes, there were many consequences because of his sin, but God used him in a powerful way. David is another example. The third example that I want us to look at is the example of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 20. Though a fictitious uh, character, we see this young man that Jesus speaks about because of his selfishness and a pursuit for what the world would offer. This son takes his father's inheritance before he's even dead and goes and lives it up in a foreign land, living up the life, enjoying it until his money runs out. God would bring about a second chance in his life by bringing that man in the story to a place of desperation. Write that down in your outlines. He brings him to a place of desperation. What happens? There's a famine in the land. He uses up all his money, and the only job he can find is cleaning up the pig pen. 
And so when he's cleaning up the pig pen, he's so hungry that he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating and he begins to yearn about the good things that he had back at his father's home. And so he says, maybe I'll go back. I need to go back. And his thought is, I'll go back and I'll be a slave to my father. That's all I can expect. That's all. I've given up everything. I've taken his money. I've run. I've wasted it. And the only thing he's going to let me have is to be a slave. And that's all I would want. And yet when he's coming back from a far distance, his father sees him, runs to him, embraces him, puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, throws a party, kills the fattened calf. And he says, my son is back. The prodigal son, even though he sinned, and even though many of us have pursued wild living and given up so much of who we are, when we look at the life of the prodigal son, we can see no matter what amount of wild living we're a part of, if you ask for forgiveness, there's an opportunity for a second chance. Another one that I want to quickly look at is the life of Peter. Oh, we know about Peter. Peter, the confident disciple, the the loyal disciple. He said at one point, after Jesus said that everybody will run away from Jesus, strike the sheep, uh, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And uh, Peter says, no, everybody else will leave you, but not me. No, I'm with you, Jesus. You and me, man. Peter, Jesus show. We're, We're together. This is good. And Peter is told by Jesus, before the night is through, you'll deny me. He says, no, never. I'll never deny you. And God uses demonstration. Write that in your outlines, a demonstration. He shows Peter that even though with his mouth he says all that he is, he comes to the point that he learns that he is not all that he says he is. The text tells us after the third time that he uh, denies Jesus, that he goes and wept bitterly because of what he had done. He was a failure. He knew he was a failure. He was embarrassed. He knew that the disciples would know about this failure and that he talked a good game, but he did not live it out in his life. And you would think for sure, because of that, Peter would no longer be a disciple. Peter would no longer be an active member of the church. But what do we see? In the last chapter of John, on a morning, Jesus appears to the disciples on the beach And when he tells them to come and have breakfast with them, Jesus spends some time restoring Peter. And even though Peter had failed him miserably, Jesus asks three questions. And the three questions are the same one. And it goes to the three denials. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Jesus, you know I do. Feed my lambs or feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Father. Or yes, Jesus, you know I do. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Even says, my heart is grieved. You don't know how much I love you. Then feed my sheep. And Peter would go on to be an incredible leader in the church. He would go on to write some of the most wonderful scriptures that we have seen. And he is a model of faithfulness amidst times of great trial. Why? Because even when we talk a good game about our Christianity and we don't live it, And when we're ashamed to be even around the church people that we have failed, Peter is an example that God is a God of second chances. How about John Mark? John Mark. You don't know much about John Mark probably. Acts 15, 36 through 41. John Mark is uh, the bone of contention between Paul and Barnabas. 
And the reason why Paul and Barnabas are having this argument with one another is that they, uh, Paul doesn't want to take uh, John Mark on the missionary trip. And the reason why is sometime before the ministry got difficult for John Mark and instead of the, go, the tough get going, he says, I'm out of here. I'm taking off. I can't handle the ministry anymore. And so he deserts Paul. And this frustrates Paul, and rightly so. Paul's very unhappy with John Mark. And he's not going to make a same decision again to bring him if this guy, when the, when the issues get tough, that he takes off. But Barnabas says, give him another chance. He'll do well. And there's a separation that happens. Paul says, I'll take Silas and we'll go this way. You take John Mark, Barnabas, and you go that way. And they separate. And you would think, here is a guy, John Mark, that would have thought, I've blown it. I messed up in ministry. I wasn't able to hack ministry. And this is what happens. The great apostle Paul says, I'm no good. But what does God do? God allows affirmation through Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? He's the son of encouragement. We, we've learned that Paul is kind of a type A personality, task-oriented. Barnabas, Barnabas is a lot like Keith. You know, you just love hanging around Keith. He's so nice and he says nice things to you and makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That's Barnabas, okay? Wore pastel colors and robes and, uh, and that's, that's Barnabas. And you know what happened? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to say it's verse 11, it says that Paul at the end of his life tells Timothy, bring me John Mark. He will be of much use to me. Maybe today you find yourself as a failure in ministry and you say, but I blew it when I was young. John Mark is an example that there's second chances even when we blow it in ministry. Let's get back to our guy now, Jonah. Jonah has a second chance that's given to him in what way? Through isolation. Through isolation. Three days and three nights, he's all by himself. And he comes to his senses that God is working in his life. And what God is going to do is something amazing. We're going to get to it here before the message is done. That Jonah is going to not only be given grace... But he is going to be given the same message, the same opportunity that he was given in chapter 1. And we are going to see that this failed and flawed individual is going to be given the opportunity to be a part of the greatest revival in human history. God, even when we rebel and disobey, God is a gracious and loving God who doesn't always do it, but we see more opportunities than not that God gave a second chance. And Jonah is all about second chances. You say, well, that's a lot of stuff, Tim, and, and we didn't spend much time in Jonah. Well, it's there. It's like Prego. It's in there. But I want you to understand something. If you miss this, then you miss the understanding that we are a flawed people whom God uses. When we miss out on the grace of God, then we see God as a wicked dictator and not a God of love. We see God as a tyrant and not as one who wants to teach us about obedience. 
And so we need to look and look at these examples and say, God, I too am flawed. I too am unqualified. I too have disqualified myself from serving you. But I take by faith the example that you have shown me through your word. And I believe that you have given me a second chance. And the moment you get there and you embrace the grace of God, then there's a step that you must be a part of. And that's the second point this morning. And I'll keep moving quickly. Don't be afraid. We got early in the first service, so you will too, okay? And the second one is that we must engage, we must engage in the biblical procedure that leads to second chances. How do we get there? What are we to do if we're failures and God's not going to overlook our sin? What do we do? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51 for a moment. Psalm 51. Here is a wonderful example of one of David's psalms after he has been confronted about his sin. When you get to Psalm 51, you see, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is after the confrontation. Notice what he says. He articulates some things that we need to do. If we live out this procedure, this prescription, then we will open the door for God's grace to be there. Now, God's grace is there. We are living and we're able to continue in our life. But are we embracing it? Are we experiencing that grace? It starts with a a passage like Psalm 51. Notice the first thing we need to do. We need to see the reality of our sins. Verses 2 through 5. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He says, I was sinful at birth, sinful at the time my mother conceived me. We need to understand something. If we want a second chance from God, then we need to start looking at our lives like God looks at us. You see, what we begin to do is begin to rationalize our failures What we begin to do is we say, okay, I made a failure. I messed up. And what we'll have is a group of people and counselors that will come and say, well, tell me about your mother. Tell me what your mother did. Was she a mean woman that you fell to this sin? And we come up with all these different ideas and thoughts of why you fell to it instead of justifying that I have a problem with sin. That doesn't mean counselors aren't important. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek wisdom from them. But we need to be careful that they don't come up with excuses for our sin, but they show us the reality of our sin. And that can be seen. The reason why we do the things that we do is we are sinners. We find ourselves, even at the time of our birth, in a struggle against sin. You need to show and need to see the reality of sin. The next thing we need to see is we need to then show remorse for our sin. Verse 4 tells us, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The next thing that we see is verse 14. In verse 14, he articulates the guilt that he is having. He says, save me from the blood guilt. This is a, a, a phrase that is talking about the blood of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband that he was a part of. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We need to be remorseful over our sin. Now there are a lot of people that are remorseful that they've gotten caught in their sin. But very few times do we as believers ever get on our knees and say, man, I've blown it. 
and I am sorry for my sin. I am grieved that I've done those things. There are times in my life that I can look back to, even as a young boy, and I am grieved over the words that have come out of my mouth. I am grieved by the actions that I've been a part of. Not because it just made me look dumb, but because I see how those actions and those words affected people and how it hurt people and how it offended my God. We should never expect a second chance from God unless we see the need for the second chance that God gives. If you're okay with everything you've done, then you're living a great first chance. Just stick with that one. But if you recognize your sin, then you will see the rem- you'll you begin to start showing remorse for that sin. The next thing, seek repentance after we sin. Verses 6 through 10 tells us, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He says, let me hear the joy and gladness of the bones you have crushed. Rejoice, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What David is saying is he's saying the following. He says, I know I lived over here in my sin, God. I know what I've done is grievous to you, but here I am. I will no longer do it. I've learned the error of my ways. I have learned where sin takes me. I don't want it anymore. And so I'm not going to pursue those things anymore. I'm going to pursue you, God, you and you alone. But I need your help, God. I repent. I ask for forgiveness. And what I need, I can't even do it on my own because left to myself, I'll keep going to that sin, God. And so I need you to create in me a clean heart. Have you ever gone to God after you've sinned and say, God, I'm incapable of stopping that behavior. I'm incapable. You know, we use these words. It's an addiction. Yeah, it is an addiction. It's called sin. And when we pursue that sin and we feed it, we become incapable of finding victory into it. And so we find ourselves deeper into it. David says, if I'm left to myself, I'll fall to that every time. And so he says, God, you got to create something new in me. You have to renew me so that I don't live that way anymore. So he repents. Next we see that we need to spend time reflecting on where we've been. We need to spend time reflecting on where we've been. You know, we in society are so quick to forget our failures. In fact, many times what happens is, is in, in, especially in the world of politics, they have said, and uh, I was watching a series on, uh, it was either Fox News or CNN, talking about the rash of, of political scandals that are going on. And what they're saying is, is what's happening now is most press conferences for scandals happen on Friday afternoon. Why? Because people aren't watching the news on Saturday and Sunday. And by Monday, they're hoping that enough news has come through the cycle that people will have forgotten it. See, we think that if people forget our sins, then we can forget our sins. We think that just because we got away with something, that then we don't have to worry about it anymore. But God doesn't forget our sins, and God doesn't want us to forget our sins. I am so glad God has given me a memory and has not let me forget the stupid, sinful things I have done. I don't want God to keep holding them against me. And I believe with all my heart that he's forgiven me of them, but I don't want to forget them. Anytime that I'm looking for someone to lead in a ministry, I will ask the question, show me your limp. 
And usually people will say, what do you mean by your limp? And uh, I remember when uh, we were, uh, first time I talked with John Pilkington about serving as an elder. And I remember we were out uh, at dinner and I said, I want to know, show me your limp. And and for five minutes, he didn't get it. I just let him sit on that for a little bit. He said, why is Tim thinking I'm limping? And I began to articulate what I meant. That Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled with God. God was working in his life and wrestling with him. And the Bible says that God touched Jacob's hip and he broke it. Now that is a word picture for me because when my dad was 17 years of age, he was hit by a drunk driver in a car and he shattered his pelvis. And to this day, he lost a half an inch on his right leg and he walks with a limp. And now we're always reminded, every time we see our dad walking, every time he takes a step, he's reminded of something in the past. I have learned in my life where God has touched me and made me limp. And the reminder is, is, hey, don't think you're bigger than who you are. Remember? Remember when I worked you over? Remember when we wrestled? Where's the limp? There's a lot of Christians who just say, well, I've asked for forgiveness and I've moved on. I don't even think about that anymore. That scares me. Because what I've learned as a young man is if you forget your mistakes, what will happen? You will relive them again in the future. And so what am I glad? I'm glad I got a limp. And there's limps in my heart. There's, there's scars. I talked a couple weeks ago about the scars that we carry. They don't hurt like they used to, but they're there as a reminder of the sins that we have committed. Finally, we need to submit when we're recommissioned. After David reminisces, if you will, about his bones being in anguish in Psalm 32, if you want to write that down next to that prior point there, Psalm 32 is a wonderful example of reflecting on where David had been in his sin. The final thing when he's recommissioned, this is what David says. He says, forgive me, Lord, restore me to the joy of your salvation, grant me a willing spirit, sustain me. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do, Father. Because of my gratitude for what you've done, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. My tongue, in verse 14, will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You did not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offering. He's saying religion doesn't work with you, God. But he says, I am going to give you my life. And so we come to the point that after we have sought forgiveness, after we have lived out what the biblical procedure is for getting right with God, David says, whatever you call me to God, I'm there and I'm ready to serve you. So where does that bring us? Brings us back to Jonah. And this is where we see point three, and that is we must experience the part that God plays in second chances. What are second chances? They are vehicles of God's grace. And so what does that mean? We need to see the grace that God is extending to us, his people. And as a result of that, we are called to a couple things. Jonah is given a second chance. He's spat out by the whale. And he is then given the word from the Lord to go do some things. And I want you to understand, the second chance that God gives, gives us the opportunity, first of all, write these two down, to serve as his missionaries and to share his message. Now you'd say, well, but that was what he was given as the first task. Yes, he's given the same task, which in and of itself is a gift of grace. 
Had, had that happened in, in our lives, we probably would have said, Jonah, just go back to Israel. Just do your thing. Uh, maybe in a couple of years, I'll use you again, but, but not right now. You're, you're on probation and you need to uh, just move on and uh, we'll talk to you. We'll, we'll call you. You don't call us. But that's not what God does. God comes right back with the same intensity and with the same urgency. And he says in verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. There's a couple different words, but the message is the same. uh, Jonah, I want you to go. The place is the same. I want you to go to Nineveh. The activity is the same. I want you to preach. It's the same calling. Some of us think that God called us to something. We missed out on that calling, and now we've missed our opportunity. That's not the case in Jonah's life. But understand that these two things change dramatically. When Jonah would have gone and served as a missionary and shared the message in chapter 1, he would have preached a message that was outside of himself. Meaning, it would have been just information that he would have shared. Now understand this, and this is very important. When we serve as missionaries and share the message of God... What we have done is we've created a formula in the evangelical world to preach and proclaim a proposition. And the proposition is a bunch of information about this Jesus who could save someone else. The problem is, is it's a defective gospel. Because without us being involved in that, then the gospel is just a proposition to people. But when we start bringing ourselves into it, Jonah would now be able to go to the Ninevites and say, God's judgment is coming. And I want you to believe this because here, let me tell you my story. I rebelled against God just as you're rebelling against God. And God is serious. I rebelled against God and he came after me. And he swallowed me up into a whale, nearly allowed me to die. But let me tell you his grace. In three days and three nights, I was given three days and three nights and he spat me out of the whale and now I have a chance to come back. And what does he preach to the Ninevites? You got 40 days. You've got 40 days. Get right with God. The difference is, is he saw the gospel living through him and not just him articulating some information. Some people asked him, why are you so... uh, uh, um, Why do you immerse so much of yourself into uh, the storyline of the gospel? Because if I'm just here to be a teacher and to proclaim things, then you'll say, wow, Tim knows a lot of information. But if I show you where I have failed, and preachers tell me all the time, you're telling them too much. You're, you're, You're creating a dynamic that there isn't much separation between the teacher and the hearer. I say, phooey, they need to know not how smart I am. You know better than that. But you need to recognize that Tim is a failure who has sinned against God and God, because of his abundant grace and mercy and nothing that has to do with Tim, has allowed the idiot that preaches for you every Sunday to do great things for his king. And when we start understanding that, boy, that's when we get start getting passionate about preaching the gospel to others. Because it's then that we recognize we are sinners, we are failures, and God has given us the second chance. And when we are given a second chance, have you ever been pulled over by a cop and the cop comes up and you know you've sped and you know that you're getting a ticket and you see him come up and he says, all right, he says, let me see your information, looks it over. And then he says, have a nice day. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. You've been given a second chance. Isn't that the greatest feeling in the world? Let's take that second chance and proclaim that to the world. 
just as Jonah did. And let's pray that God will change the world like he changed Nineveh. I'm going to pray and we're going to show a video. After the video, just spend some time in prayer and then just be dismissed as you see the time right. So let's go to prayer. Father God, we thank you for second chances. Father, I thank you that though we are sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, I thank you that you have given us the grace that we can have second chances. So Lord, let us live in light of that, we pray. Amen. I see the things you do through me as great things I have done And now you gently break me And lovingly you take me And hold me as my father And move me as my maker I ask you how many times will you pick me up when I keep on letting you down? And each time I will fall short of your glory, how far will forgiveness abound? And you answer my child, I love you. And as long as you're seeking my face, you walk in the
Sufficient grace.